Good morning. Welcome to Fam Church. There's nobody smiling. Nobody is smiling. Isn't it a great day? I mean, come on, it's a great day. And I get excited the closer we move to spring. I love spring. It's my favorite season of the year, and I love spring in Florida even, okay? I mean, I just love spring. And Fam Church is here. We are here to connect people to Christ. We've said it uh, a couple of times in this morning's service, but that's what we're here for as a church. Um, uh, If you're here for the first time, you're here for the first time in a long time. You're sitting in here saying, I don't even know what I'm doing in a church. Well, just let me tell you, we hope that your experience here this morning has been that you've connected to Christ. Now, if you're here this morning because, once again, last Sunday, the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl, and so, and so you are struggling, you know, you've had a bad week, you know, you've, uh, uh, you're, you, you're feeling uh, you need some salvation and some redemption and some healing because that team won again. We're here to help you out this morning. Fam Church can help in that issue. The first thing you need to do is let go of your hate, man. Just let go of the hate. All right. Then the second thing is to help overcome the hate, we're going to give everybody New England Patriots world champion bumper stickers to put on your cars as you walk out the door this morning. Just slap that on the back of your car and you'll be able to overcome that hate. No, we're not giving away, we're not giving away any bumper stickers this morning, but uh, we're, uh, we're in week two of our series, uh, Hashtag Relationship Goals, and uh, the point and the purpose in this series is to look at some key areas in life where relationships uh, are important and see what God has said about those relationships to make them the best that they can be. And last week, the first area that we looked in was we looked at our home. We looked at our home life. We looked at, you know, us who are married. We looked at married with children. We looked at people who are living with a roommate, people who are uh, living in college and in a dorms. We looked at all of those circumstances and situations to see what our relationship goals in that place, in that spot should be. And we saw three basic things that those relationships should do. And the first one is, in all of those relationships, they should reflect the image of God. That means that they should, uh, we should somehow be reflecting God to the person that we are living with, that we are in a house with, that we are sharing kind of a family situation with. And then the second thing that we saw was that we mutually complete one another. And so what, regardless of the relationship, the part and a piece of that relationship helps to complete us, helps to make us who we are, helps to form us into the person that we want to be, and then then the final thing that we looked at last week was that uh, we were there to multiply our godly legacy, and so it was part of our part of our uh, responsibility in that in that relationship was to multiply our godly legacy through showing people what it means to live for Christ each and every single day. And if you missed the message, you can go ahead and check that out on our Fam Church app. It's there. You can listen to it right there. And we're moving on today. And today's topic in relationships it's about us and people at the church. Because I think all of us have heard horror stories about bad relationships in churches, right? How many of you have heard horror stories? How many of you have actually been a part of a horror story where you were the recipient of horror? Don't raise your hand, okay? But uh, we all have those stories, right? Like maybe there was a Sunday that you walked into church and you were looking for a place to sit and you strolled over to a nice place to sit down and you sat in that chair. Well, after you were sitting there for a couple of minutes, Sister Smith came in the door. And Sister Smith looked around the room and saw you sitting in that spot. 
But what Sister Smith didn't mention or didn't say on that chair was that that was her spot that she's been sitting in for 20 years. And so Sister Smith walked up and not so nicely tapped you on the shoulder and said, excuse me, you're sitting in my spot. You need to move. How many of us have had those wonderful experiences? Man, oh boy, (laughs) people are really honest here this morning. All right, that's good. All right, so... I mean, even I had an experience just uh, two weeks ago in this sort of thing. I'm not going to name the church, but we were out handing out flyers for the church's pancake breakfast a couple of Thursdays ago, and I knocked on this one door. Actually, I was the one who seemed to have found all the really not happy people when I knocked on their door. Everybody else had great experiences going to doors. Me, not so much. And so uh, this happened at a couple of houses, but this one lady in particular, she was really unhappy. I knocked on her door and, uh, and I said, hi, my name is Brian and I'm from Fam Church. She looked at me and she says, I go to such and such church and slammed the door right in my face. Didn't let me complete. I had no idea. There wasn't a sign on there that says, I don't like free pan- pancake breakfast, okay? I mean, if you don't like them, put that sign on your door could help me out at some point in time. But I love pancakes, and so I thought it was a good thing. There was also not a sign there that said the church that she went to and that she thinks that only those people that go to her church are nice people and people she wants to eat pancakes with. Okay, she was just an angry person. But the deal is that's not the way God intended for relationships to be. He didn't intend for them to be mean, nasty, and cause people to look at someone and go, Jesus, is that what Jesus is like? Because to be honest, my meeting with this woman who slammed the door in my face, that was my thought. My thought was, ooh, gosh, that's Jesus right there? That's kind of scary. I mean, would Jesus slam the door in my face? Does Jesus mad at me like she's mad at me? You know, is, does Jesus not want my pancakes either? You know, that was, those are the thoughts that were going through my head. But that's what we communicate. When in a church, that's how we are. And this morning, uh, to to look at the three points that we're going to go through in regards to this, we're going to hop around to a couple of books of the Bible this morning. And so if you're new to this whole Bible thing, um, we're going to have it on the screen behind me so you don't have to try and keep up with our moving around. Also, if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, you can get a free copy out at the FAM Connections desk after service. Uh, But this morning, the first book we're going to be in is the book of John. And we're going to be in John uh, chapter 13. If you don't know where it's at, it's in the New Testament. You got Matthew, you got Mark, you got Luke, then you've got John. And And uh, we're going to be reading verses 34 and 35 this morning. And, uh, And this is what it says in John 13, 34 and 35. It says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so as I read that, The first thing that jumped out at me is Jesus saying, I have a new command for you. Now, can I first of all say that there was never a spot in the Bible where it was not commanded to love. I mean, if you go back to the book of Leviticus in chapter 19, God says to the people of Israel to love your neighbor as yourself. And so love is not a new command. It wasn't like God was sleeping one day. And then he's like, man, I just don't know what's wrong with this world. How can I figure this whole thing out? Wait, I got it. Love. Maybe tell people to love one another. Okay, that's, that's not what happened. That's not went, what went down in this situation. Uh, but Jesus was making a shift in how people are to look at one another 
in the church. Now, when I say the church, I'm not talking about uh, this church, this building that we're sitting in. I'm talking about everyone who believes in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's really what makes up the church. This building and the people that gather here in this building are part of the church, but we are not the church. Um, and so what Jesus was saying here is he was making a shift in love. And what he was saying is this, I want you guys to love one another like brothers and sisters love each other. Because he was making a point with them that they had now gone from being friends, from being associates, from being business partners, to now they were family. And what brought them into the family was this. Jesus, in his death on the cross and his resurrection, adopted everyone who follows Jesus as sons and daughters. And so he's saying, look, I love you so much I care about you so much that I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to die for you and I'm going to adopt you as sons and daughters. And so therefore what that means is that when you look at other people who follow Jesus, you need to look at them through the same eyes that I'm looking at you at. You need to look at them as brothers and sisters who you would die for. And so to kind of get the awkwardness and uncomfortability out of the way, you know, may, I'm, I'm thinking maybe each one of us should go to somebody in the section that we're in where, that we're not related to and just give them a wet willy. You know what a wet willy is? Just to let them, like you treat them like your brother and sister. No? You guys want to do that? I figured the youth would at least take advantage of that. But, uh, but, but Jesus is saying, look, we got to love each other like I loved you. Okay, and so that's the thing. Love is a big deal. And it's a big deal here because Jesus says the phrase, love one another three times in these two verses. And so you know what that means? That means it's really important. This love is to be the thing that distinguishes us and shows the rest of the world just how different we are from everybody else. But we failed miserably at showing that love to one another. Instead, when the world looks in at the church, the world looks in and sees division. And it's weird division too. Like, I was told this story by a pastor here in Mulberry a few weeks ago. Uh, he was telling us about how they tried to form a minister's alliance here in the city of Mulberry. And so they had contacted all of the churches and asked all of the pastors to, to come to this meeting. They were going to have this meeting and get the pastors together. Well, the day came for the meeting and only about half of the pastors in Mulberry showed up to this meeting. But what they heard was the other half had their own meeting at a different place. And so they went to him and they said, why are you having another meeting? Why didn't you come to our meeting so that we can get the ministers in Mulberry, the pastors of the churches in Mulberry working together? And you know what their response was? Was, well, we don't really agree with all of your theology and we don't want to work with you. That's not how the body of Christ is supposed to function. Because, and you know what, I, I believe this, I've had that, I, I've had people say this, none of us have perfect theology, okay? All of us have something jacked up with our theology that's wrong. And so it's not like God's going to look at you and say, hey, you got theology right, you're perfect, you're awesome, but all these other people, they're screwed up. No, Jesus 
knows that we all got it wrong because we're humans. We're in, we're, we make mistakes. We screw things up. We read things wrong. We do things wrong. And so we can make mistakes. And so there's nobody out there with a perfect theology. And so working together is not about having perfect theology, but working together is showing the world who Jesus is and how we can love one another by saying, you know what? I don't agree with all of your theology, but we're going to work hand in hand to reach this city, to reach this county, to reach this state for Jesus. That's love for our brothers and sisters. But it's not something that just happens between churches. It happens inside the walls of the churches as well. But that's not where Jesus has called us to be. When we look at the people that are sitting here in this room, when we look at the people that are in other churches, we need to look at them like we would look at any other member of our family. We need to look at them with love. I mean, Dana told me this story um, from work. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, remember, it was just recently in Orlando, but there was this, uh, this guy named Marquise Lloyd who had he'd killed his ex-girlfriend and then he killed a cop and they were on a manhunt for him. And uh, anyways, so Dana and her coworkers were talking about this situation, and most of her coworkers had said that they would, uh, they would, if Marquise was their family member, that they would hide him from the cops. And, okay, so one, there was like a big reward involved in this. Everybody needs money, right? <laughs> but they would hide him because it was their family member, and they loved him. Now, I can tell you, if one of my family members had a reward out for him, it wouldn't take, I'd, I'd drop the dime and make the call and turn him in in a second. Okay, so if any of you are wanted for anything in here and there's a reward, don't tell me because I'll turn you in. All right? Just want to make that clear. And so in our families, we can love our family members so much that we're willing to hide them from the cops, but then when we walk into the doors of the church, we aren't willing to do the same thing for those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. That's not a good thing, okay? And I know, I get it, some of you are like, man, I've got enough drama at home with my own family. I don't need any more drama when I walk through the doors of the church, okay? I've had enough. Well, can I tell you, wherever there's people, there's gonna be drama, you can't avoid it, okay? There's not like you can have your own little group of dra the drama-free group. There's always going to be something going on. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be struggles, okay? We all have our own baggage. We all have our own battles, our personalities, and things that have happened in our life that make us who we are. See, the role of the church and the people in this church is to help us to become all that God wants us to be by helping us work through those things, okay? And so that's what the relationships are here for. But in order for that to happen, we need to be in relationship with each other and love each other unconditionally. All right, so then the question from that, at least for me, get, uh, becomes, well, how do we work then? How do we, how, what do we do when conflict arises amongst the, the people who make up the, uh, the church, the body of Jesus, the brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters? How do we handle that? Well, to answer that question, Jesus gave us some information, and so we're going to be turning to Matthew uh, chapter 18. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and we're going to be reading verses 15 through 17. And uh, this is what it says 
uh, in Matthew. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matters may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. All right, so the first thing that I want to point out is that this is a direct quote from Jesus. Jesus says these words. And so what does he tell us? Does he tell us to handle problems and issues that come up with others by going to someone else in the church and letting them know what a horrible person this other person is? No. Does he tell us to go to others and say, we need to pray for them because they're really struggling? No, Jesus doesn't say either one of those things. Jesus tells us to go to the person that we have issue with and talk to them. See, that's what love is all about. You know, if you go to them, and also, if you go to the person and don't get resolution to the issue, then you cannot, then you, okay, sorry. If you go to the person and do, uh, do not get resolution to the issue, then you can ask somebody else to get involved. Then if that doesn't work, you can pull in other people from the church. See, it's a process. It's got steps. They're there to preserve and help the relationship. And if you continue to have issues and conflicts with that person, even after going through this process, Jesus doesn't say, well, then you can forget about it and you don't have to follow through with it. No. Jesus says, you know what? This is the way you're supposed to handle it. A new problem comes up. A new conflict comes up with that person. You just go to them and you keep doing this over and over again, regardless of whether or not you feel like it's worth working how many run-ins you've had with them in the past. So know this, if you come to me with uh, a problem, I am going to the first question I will ask you is, so what did the person say when you talked to them about the problem? Okay, why do I handle it that way? Because it's the way that Jesus handled it. And so if Jesus has says that's the way to do it, that's the way we're going to do it. You say, oh, but I don't like confrontation. That's not really my thing. Nobody likes confrontation, okay? The few people that do, they're crazy, all right? You look at the people that like confrontation, they're a little bit out there on the edge. See, conflicts are a part of life, and practicing Jesus' form of conflict resolution is how we develop healthy relationships in the church. Going to someone else about an issue you have with someone in the church or in life, it's not healthy. If that's the best plan, why don't you handle all of your problems that way? You know, if you've got a problem with your wife or your husband, why don't you go to Sister Smith and ask Sister Smith to deal with your wife or husband for you? No, we don't do that. See, we go to our wife, we go to our husband, we go to our kids. um, And that's the way God wants us to handle it. So our second goal in relationships in the church is to handle conflicts and problems the way that Jesus said to handle them. Then the last piece in our relationship goals in the church is found in the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Romans is two books up from John. We're going to read verses 15 and 16 of chapter 12, and this is what it says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Okay, there's quite a few things in this verse that we could hit on, but the first thing I see here and would say for all of us to have healthy relationships in the church is we need to feel empathy for one another. What's empathy? 
It's the capacity to understand or feel what another person is feeling or experiencing. Can I say this is something not just missing from the church today, but it's missing from our society in general. We struggle with and have a hard time feeling empathy for people in a different spot or position than us. I mean, yes, we get some, you know, like if somebody comes and says, oh, I had a family member pass away, we have some sort of empathy there. If somebody comes and says, I'm sick, or somebody I know is sick, we have empathy there. But for a general rule, we just don't. And can I tell you that the political landscape is the worst now? It was rough before last year, but in the last year or so, it has gotten really bad. I've watched friends of mine on both sides of the political aisle just I mean, go nuts, post crazy things with no understanding, with no empathy to the opposing view. Now, I understand that some opposing views to what we believe are in direct contradiction to what the Word of God says. And yes, we probably should be against those sorts of things. But can I tell you, there's quite a few things that Jesus probably has no opinion on that we stake great opinion on. I'm going to say a few things. They may make some people mad, but can I say this? Jesus has no opinion on whether we should build a wall between the U.S. and Mexico, okay? This is not a matter of faith and salvation, okay? I don't think it's a Jesus issue. Jesus also doesn't care on whether or not this country should keep agreements such as NAFTA, Do you know that Jesus has no opinion on whether or not we should do something different with the Affordable Care Act? He probably doesn't like some provisions of it, but he's not out there rallying for or against the Affordable Care Act. I have feelings on those things. We all have feelings on those topics. But here's what we do. We look at these topics We feel one way about it, and we think, well, because I'm a Christian, and because I feel this way about that topic, that must be the way Jesus feels about those issues. But that's not how it works. What shapes our view on things is our experiences in life. We have people sitting in our rows or in our sections that have had completely different life experiences that we do. And so they've got a different view on things than we do. So instead of making fun of them, instead of saying mean things about people who have a differing opinion than we do, we need to look at that opinion with empathy and try to understand why they have that opinion in the first place. I'm not saying you have to go out and agree with what they believe, but we have to get back to a place where you and I can agree to disagree on some issues and it doesn't mean that we can no longer be friends. Because I, it's just so tiring that, you know, I've been unfriended multiple times on Facebook in the last six months. I mean, one of them was posting about New England Patriots, so I don't know, you get unfriended for posting about the Patriots. But it's been about other things and I'm not, I'm not really political on Facebook because I just don't, Personally, I don't think that's the place for, for that, and so I don't do that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just, uh, I made a comment in regards to, and this will probably even tick someone off when I make the comment, but, you know, I made a comment in regards to what's going on, why so many African-American men are being killed by police. That's all the comment I made. 
well, I got unfriended a bunch of times by people because they thought that that was so inappropriate and that they totally disagreed with uh, my questioning that whole thing, okay? But we cannot allow those kind of differences to divide us in this room. We cannot allow those kind of differences to separate us and make us say, well, they don't agree exactly with every single one of my opinions so I can no longer talk to them. Then in the same vein, we cannot be proud or conceited, but we need to be willing to associate with whoever makes fam church their home church. What, um, the verse talks about pride and conceit. What's pride? Pride is deep pleasure or satisfaction in yourself, your accomplishments, your qualities, and your possessions. What's conceit? Conceit is having excessively high opinions of oneself. So let's unpack this for a minute. Okay, it's not wrong or sinful to have pride in yourself. If you, like, let's say, just led your football team back from a 25-point deficit in the Super Bowl uh, in the fourth quarter, you can be proud of that accomplishment. Teens, if you got good grades in school, you can be proud of that accomplishment, okay? If you did a killer job at work and you're getting awards and accolades for your job at work, you can be proud of those sorts of things. The pride and conceit that's referred to in this text is a pride that says, I'm smarter than everyone, I know more than everyone, I am better than everyone because of my achievements, my qualities, and my possessions. That's what the word pride and conceited are referring to here. So if any of us walk into church and think that we are better than anyone else in here, we are sinning and it damages relationships. I've seen this happen on many occasions in in the youth ministries I've been at. They've been rough youth ministries. I've had some sketchy kids, but my goal was to reach kids uh, for God that nobody was reaching. And so we would go after these kids, and these kids would come in, and how I worked was like this. Get them to come to the youth ministry. See them give their lives to Jesus. Get them growing in their faith. Then bring them into the church, because I knew their only hope was if they were in with other believers on a Sunday morning, uh, building relationships with other people people who know, knew Jesus. Well, what would happen is these kids would come in and, and people wouldn't like the way they were dressed, how their hair was done, uh, the, the way they smelled even, the, why they carried a backpack. Why do they need to carry a backpack in church? Really? And so what, it, what they were communicating to these kids was, look, unless you get up to my level, we can't have any relationship together. And that's not what God is calling us to do. Relationships like that are unhealthy. See, God has called us to be people that don't think we are better than others because of our situation in life. Because here was what I know about myself. If it wasn't for the grace of God, that's where I'd be at. Every time loving hands that alcohol and drug ministry is here and given their stories, I say to myself, if it wasn't for the grace of God, that would be me. You know? I I hear stories of parents who've lost their kids uh, because of things that they've done. And when I hear their story, I think to myself, if it wasn't for the grace of God, that would be me. I hear stories of pastors who've had moral failures or, 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 or done something unethical and have lost their church positions and been discredited for everything that they've done. And I say to myself, you know what, if it wasn't for the grace of God, that would be me. And so when people walk into our church and we're tempted to look down on them, we need to know that it is pride and conceit and that ruins relationships. Instead, if we are willing to associate with people, no matter their position, we will be living out that relationship and goal that Jesus has set for us in the church. Because see, that's what Jesus did and that's what he has called us to be. Lizzie, if you could come back. 
So the question then becomes, well, how do we live this out? How do we make this a part of our life? The first thing in the church, our relationship and our goals should be to love one another. We should be looking at one another and saying, you know what, I need to love that person. I need to love that person. Because Jesus died for them too. The second thing is we need to say, you know what, I have to resolve conflicts in the way that God has called me to resolve conflicts in the church. I'm not going to go to this person or that person or this other person. I am going to go to the person I have a problem with and resolve my conflict that way. Then the third thing is, let's not be proud or conceited in who we are, but understand that we are just like everyone else, and if it wasn't for the grace of God, we could be where they are at. Those three things, those three things, relationship goals for the church, and if we are living those out in our relationships in the church, we're going to have a healthy church. We're going to have a church with healthy relationships. We're going to have a church where people are growing in their faith because their relationships are healthy and whole and good. Not dysfunctional, broken, and messed up. And so that's my challenge for all of us today is to live these things out in our life, to take these relationship goals and make them a part of who we are so that we can have a healthy church when it comes to relationships. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've given us words of wisdom to live by in our relationships with each other. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to live these out. God, that you would help us to love one another. God, that you would help us to resolve conflict the way you have called us to resolve conflict. And that finally, pride and conceit would not enter into our relationships, but we'd have empathy for one another, try to understand where they're at and what they're going through. And God, as we live those out, this is gonna be a healthy church with healthy relationships. Jesus, I thank you. I praise you. It's in your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen.